the Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome into the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. This episode is the week six NFL recap. And we will get to Monday night football between the Chargers and the Broncos once again on prime time. Please don't stop listening to the podcast after that part. I know that's annoying to a lot of people these days, but uh, we will get to the game because it's a game and you're going to watch. Come on. Uh, we will also get the hot read for week seven later on in the program. Brendan Glasheen, your host with Action Network senior writers, Brandon Anderson and Jill Gallant just after midnight here on the East Coast. Sunday night football wraps between the Eagles and Cowboys. Uh, it was a week six that had 12 games, of course, four teams on the bye. So two games uh, absent from the normal 14 on Sunday. We're going to start right there. We're going to start Cowboys and Eagles. Dallas was shut out through the first half, 20 to nothing. Eagles exert their dominance uh, in this division battle. And then the, the, the Cowboys make a run there in the second half. And you start thinking, oh, are the Eagles really going to blow this? But uh, Devontae Smith scores the touchdown to create some separation. Eagles win 26-17. They cover six, six and a half, whatever number you had. Dallas, again, did make it in interesting. But we'll lead here. Brandon Anderson, the, the Eagles get there again. They remain unbeaten, the lone unbeaten in the NFL. What, what, team, what team are you more convinced by, first half Philadelphia or second half Philadelphia? You know, it felt great watching the Eagles early on. I was like, man, this team is just firing all cylinders. That second quarter thing, they put the numbers up. Eagles are just demolishing teams in second quarters. But I came away after the game looking at the numbers being like, you know, we settled in. We gave Dallas's defense some time. And they started to catch on a little bit, it seemed like, to that Eagles attack. Now, it's hard to say because – Second half, like you said, the Eagles kind of started slowing things down. Now, is that because we're protecting a big lead and so we're kind of going to a, a prevent offense, if it were? That could be the case for some teams. It really shouldn't be for the Eagles when you have such a strong run attack. Like, that should be your, your best offense, that sort of spot. The problem is Lane Johnson went out at right tackle. Landon Dickerson went out for a bit. And that changed everything because first half, the domination was the Eagles' offensive line. They were healthy. We waited on that this week, and they looked the part, and they basically had the perfect game plan for Micah Parsons. Like, the, the RPOs, putting, making Micah Parsons be the decision maker, and then just wherever he went, going to somebody else with the ball there. And I think that was by design. Clearly, the depth of target was short on purpose for Jalen Hurts. They are just saying, okay, Micah Parsons is going to come off over here. We're going to block him, and then wherever he goes – we're going to split it to somebody else over there. So I, I need to watch again because I don't know if I should be very encouraged by Dallas's defense actually stiffening up in the second half. They held the Eagles to only 268 yards for the game, hmm. 3.9 yards of play like that for, for an offense that has been this good for Philadelphia. 
you have to feel pretty good about that, especially as, as much as the Eagles went out ahead. I need to see more because I, I can't figure out, is this a sign that, hey, the Eagles offensive line just got a little banged up and, you know, that happens. And then Dallas pass rush got home. Or is this that kind of gimmicky Eagles offense that finally faced a real defense and after a few drives, the defense started to be like, you know what? I think we got some answers here. I have in my notes, next time these teams play again, obviously it's a division battle. Dak Prescott will be back. And we've seen this Dallas defense tighten up against the offense. I already have in my notes. I'm looking to bet Dallas in the rematch next time. Jill, one of the things you talked about before we went live, Mm -hmm. one thing that jumped out to you was like, okay, the Eagles on the FanDuel Sportsbook, plus 550, second favorite to win the Super Bowl. And you read that out loud. You you read it to yourself and think, did did we really see the second best team in the National Football League tonight? I mean, I don't want to sound biased because, again, I I am a Cowboys fan. I'll say that up front. But I do think the main thing that you take away from this game is – the Dallas defense, I thought they played pretty well. I mean, they held that rushing attack to less than, I think it was around 3.6 yards per carry, just double-checking. Yep, 3.5 yards per carry. And, you know, Jalen Hurts only threw for about 150 yards, just a lot of undisciplined plays, and, of course, the turnover in their own end. So a lot of it is bad coaching. I like Dan Quinn. Mike McCarthy was not doing them any favors going forward on fourth and one in their own end when they clearly got it. If they just would have slowed down and just got the replay, somebody had to have told them in the booth. But I think the Cooper Rush is clearly not the answer. He probably could have had 10 interceptions tonight. Uh, he was 18 for 38 passing. Uh, I mean, he did throw a touchdown to Jake Ferguson. That was kind of nice. That was a plus 450 touchdown. It did look nice at the time, you know, cutting into that deficit. But I mean, the the Cowboys just shot themselves in the foot right from the jump. They were down by 13 points in the first half. They pretty much or gifted it to them, like three straight drives in the Cowboys end at at their own 35. There's not really, you can't really fault the defense for kind of allowing scores on that front when that happens. Uh, But you're right. I'm not really ready to have the Eagles above the Chiefs yet in Super Bowl odds. I'm not really ready yet to say that they, they would be able to put up a challenge against the Bills. I'm not even really ready to say that they would beat the Buccaneers if they were playing in a playoff game. Um, maybe even the 49ers. And, you know, you're looking at those odds like at FanDuel right now. The Buccaneers are 11 to 1. Niners are 17 to 1. I'm sorry, Brandon. I'm not going to include the Vikings yet in that spot at 16 to 1. But I do think that even the Vikings would give them a challenge again in, in another uh, situation once they got a look at that, right? So, um, I think that's the only thing that I would just say is that I'm not ready again to just sign off on the Eagles being the best team in the NFL just because they're six and zero. But I do think that the Cowboys didn't do themselves any favors, and I'm looking forward to the rematch on Christmas Eve. Cooper Rush had to play from behind as a starter for the first time, and we saw how that went. Three interceptions. You mentioned the sloppy play, ten penalties in the game. It felt like Collinsworth kind of said it there at the end of the game. Like this kind of paves way now for Dak to come back and it won't feel as much pressure in terms of following up a great performance against a division rival. So we shall see when these teams meet again, what it looks like and how it unfolds. And you got the giants in the mix too. We'll get to the, we'll get, we're going to get to every game from today. So we'll get to the giants soon. Let's hit on Kansas city and Buffalo. That was the game. Everyone looked forward to. I mean, I don't have to really tell you much, guys, to, to set you up for this. Everyone knew coming in, probably the best two teams in the league. Defensively, I thought we saw some strengths from both of these teams today. Uh, the under hits in this one, uh, pr- pretty convincingly. 24-20, Bills win. They cover minus two and a half, minus three, whatever number you got. 
Brandon, how do you pick apart this game uh, from a gambling perspective? What, what comes to mind? So big picture takeaway, I think Josh Allen won the MVP of this game. Josh Allen is your MVP. We got a long ways to go, but we talked about this coming in. They have The Bills now have at least a full game on every team in the AFC. They are up a tie break on all three other division leaders right now. They've beat all three division leaders head to head. And we know that to an MVP, you basically need to have a lot of stats, which Josh Allen clearly does. And you have to win a lot and hopefully be the one seed, which the Bills are going to be heavy favorites for when that market reopens. So I think Josh Allen is a big favorite for MVP. That was a nice money line, sneaky way to bet this game. And it came down to those two drives for Allen. The, the, the touchdown drive at the end of the first half and then the winning one at the end of the game. Man, end of the first half, that's the sequence that stood out to me. What other team ever, even I don't think the Chiefs do this, it's third down and 13 on the one-yard line, their own one-yard line for the Bills with a minute 18 till halftime. Any team, almost any team like in the history of the NFL is literally going to like call a QB sneak there, push the pile two yards, get the punter a little space, move the clock, and hope to God that you just kept Pat Mahomes on the sidelines a little bit longer and hopefully don't give up a field goal before the half, right? That's, that's all any team wants to do in that spot. Josh Allen rolls right, rips a pass through the metaverse, 18 yards to Gabriel Davis, and then you know it's on. Because again, any other team says, Whew, okay, we got out of the, the end zone. We're just going to run the clock out now. We did the job, get to halftime. Let's come out and fight another battle. Nope, no huddle up to the line. Three-yard pass, then a 30-yard rip to Stefan Diggs out to like the 50. Another quick pass to Shakir. Now you're in field goal range. And then Gabe Davis down the sideline. Nothing the defender can do when Josh Allen just throws on a rope like that. 99 yards. What is that? One, two, three, four, five plays. And that flipped the game. And I think that flips the season. That sequence to me, that is an MVP sequence for Josh Allen. And if this team wins a Super Bowl, that might be a sequence that comes at the top of the Super Bowl DVD. That that sequence, those throws by Josh Allen. And then later on the winning drive, that hurdle run down near the end. Those are the plays that only Josh Allen can make. And that is in a game featuring Patrick Mahomes. These teams... Look, to your point, Jill, you just talked about, I don't know if I can see the Eagles as, as a, a top, you know, the, the top team in the NFL. These teams are playing a different sport than everyone else. That's the takeaway. Like, this is it. This was the, the title game. We'll see it again, probably. This was awesome. Yeah, and I think the one thing, too, when you're saying playing the different sport, you could tell just immediately when you watch the two-minute offense. Like, I, and if I was almost kind of like laughing to myself, thinking like what they should do is just put these guys seven on seven, just have like a best of five series with just <laughs> two-minute drills. Like it would just probably be the most yeah. watched thing. Like it would just be so fun to watch with these guys. Um, but the big thing that I noticed was the pass rush, just the Bills side of it and how much of a difference that made in comparison to the matchups when they played last year. Um, Mahomes got sacked four times. He was only sacked four times and in both matchups last year, for example, and just the pressure rates were different as well. So Vaughn Miller, obviously making his presence felt, he got two sacks. They were pretty much in his face all game. Um, and they also limited the Chiefs to like uh, less than 100 yards on the run game as well. Like, 
you know, uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire couldn't get it together. Isaiah Pacheco maybe had a little bit of a run here or there, but again, he didn't really get anything going. And yeah, like it was just kind of interesting to me that uh, the, the Bills rush attack essentially or rush defense, they've held opponents now to less than 100 yards in five or six games. Like their run defense is probably, I don't even have to say probably, statistically, they are the best. DVOA, they are the best. You don't really have to disagree with me on that one. But I will say this. Juju Smith-Schuster, welcome back to the NFL. (laughs) You finally scored a touchdown. Uh, He was entering uh, week six. Uh, He had the third most targets amongst all players without a touchdown. The other two were Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson. Chase Claypool was able to get his. Uh, And one of the funny things I always found, too, just especially because I think people were reminiscing to that AFC divisional game, is that the Chiefs were plus 230 on the money line with a minute to go, and they had two timeouts. I saw so many people post tickets uh, from FanDuel, and then Mahomes throws the game ceiling interception (laughs) to pretty much end that game. The the irony of of Brandon's point was that Butker still kicked a 62-yard field goal (laughs) before the half. Like, that still happened, which I'm like – the bills you're like are you kidding me like this again like we just with 11 seconds to go and and that that little the pass to kelsey that like the exact same play from last time just like the sandlot throw and the dive and the timeout i'm like oh man that has to be just a a gut punch going to halftime to give up that sequence for bills fans just carbon copy from a year ago but yeah i I noticed jill you talked about like that the the bills had other chances they didn't they didn't seem to worry that they would get more chances here. And Brandon, you said the defense showed you something. I don't disagree, but both teams averaged over six yards of play. We had 800 yards of offense. Like the defenses showed us that they could keep them, what, under 10 yards of play? These offenses just, there's no answer when, and and you know these coaches save their best too, that they they save their best play calls and they bring their best here. I, I did notice after the game, if you look like the overall stats pretty even, the Bills on early downs were fantastic. The Bills, uh, if you look at RBS DM and they kind of the color green for success, purple if it's unsuccessful. And the Bills early downs are just all green, dark green. Buffalo got anything they wanted to on early downs. They didn't do as well on late downs. The Chiefs were not good on early downs, but Pat Mahomes, you remember those third down plays, he'd scramble, he'd run, he'd keep it alive and then zip some crazy pass. They had the long juju touchdown. That was on a third down, kind of a broken play. In the long run, early downs is a lot more predictive. Third down is just, Pat, please do something. And Pat's going to please do a lot of things for you. But so is Josh usually, and he didn't really in this game. To me, that tells me when we see these teams play again, Buffalo was the better team today and is the right winner. So I have to feel good about their chances, especially because they're probably playing in Buffalo next time. Yeah. Some bend, but don't break defense, but yeah, yards per play a concern. And I think as a better too, you found out today, the Josh Allen rushing total number is not always a slam dunk because he, what he proved today too, was I can sit back, make my reads come from behind, which that's been a criticism of this team. And now they've done it twice against Baltimore and Kansas City. So they've quickly written that. They've taken that narrative, crumbled up the paper, and, and tossed it to the side. They, they've against two legit opponents in their conference. So big-time stuff by the Bills. Moving on, we mentioned the Giants earlier. The, the freaking Speaking of the Ravens, the freaking Ravens in the oh. second half, the fourth quarter. I mean, pick, second half, generally speaking, with the Baltimore Ravens. They absolutely blow it again. The Giants win this game 24-20. They cover the five and a half, six points. Um, 
Brandon, I know it was one of your picks, Baltimore, this week. Uh, infuriating, infuriating team in the second half in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you're right. Infuriating is exactly the word. This is the third time. We're six weeks into the season. Third time Baltimore has blown a 10-point lead and lost the game. And they almost had another one of those that they ended up coming back and winning, if I recall. So uh, finally, our London trends that we've been talking about, the post-London trend, not did not hit on this one. The team total over for Baltimore. We did not hit that one. It's the first one of the year. And man, this Giants team, they had no business winning this game. The Ravens had 168 more yards, but they were one of three in the red zone. They kept screwing up there. They had two late turnovers. We talked before about Lamar Jackson as MVP as one of those guys. Is he too much? Is he too valuable? And that late, those late drives were a I have to do everything. I'm Lamar Jackson and I am this offense. Let me go save this game. Oh no, it's getting away. Oh no. I fumbled. I picked it up. I forced a throw. There's an interception. And then I think he fumbled on the next player too, once they got it back as well. And that was it. it. Part of, you know, part of the read on this for me, we talked about those luck rankings that we have up at action network. The giants entered the week number one in luck ranking. I'll tell you right now, that's going up somehow. Can they rank number zero in luck ranking? Like the Ravens, t- Justin Tucker, the invincible, doinks a field goal. Mark Andrews drops a touchdown in the end zone, who has like some of the surest hands in football. We had the goofy Lamar turnovers late. Giants are five and one. They had 238 yards, 3.8 yards per play. Hooray, Giants. I can't wait to bet against this team, but I don't know if I can anymore because... Credit to Brian Dable. They just hang around and they keep finding ways. And, you know, a win is a win. The Giants are, are finding wins. There is a theme to underdogs that covered today. We'll get to that and you'll get the sense of that as we continue. In this case, the Bengals, Jill, were road favorites. They were a heavily bet public team today. The, the ba- or, yes, today. The, the Bengals were at the, the Saints. They win 30-26. Clutch touchdown, Jamar Chase at the end. Makes a big move races down the sideline uh, for the victory and the cover. They cover th- uh, the three-point spread. What stood out to you in this game? Just that their ability to be able to come from behind. Like, I mean, they were down by double digits. And then when Joe Burrow just takes off like a gazelle, like he just, that's the best mobile I've ever seen from him in over a year. Like where he just runs for this 19-yard touchdown where it's like the sea just parted for him. Huh. I, I mean, I, I knew they weren't going to lose like pretty much at that point. He was plus 750 to score a touchdown, by the way, too, and that's his first touchdown of the season. I, I mean, I thought the Saints, they contained them pretty well in the first half, Like, uh, but then, I mean, the Burrow-Chase connection just kicked into high gear. It was seven catches for 132 yards, a, a 60-yard broken tackle touchdown to pretty much seal the game, and it really came down to the red zone. Like, this, the Saints... They had their opportunities. They had four times they were inside the Bengals 20 and they settled for field goals. Like it, you're not going to beat a high up powered offense like that. Uh, the Bengals had three trips to the red zone. They scored every time. And then they also scored on a long run to, to Jamar chase. So pretty much that just determined the game is that what you do in the red zone is going to be indicative of how the outcome is. And the saints just weren't doing it. That's something to look out for now. Joe Burrow uh, rushing. He's like, I had enough of this offensive line. I'm just going to run for my life. And, <laughs> I guess in some ways you got to have the room to run. And that's been a problem of his, not his fault. The offensive line has been a huge concern. Brandon, your Vikings, they are five and one. They are in contention in that NFC. That is for sure. They defeat the Dolphins. Vikings win 24-16. They cover as three-point road favorites in Miami. How do you feel about Minnesota 
delivering and covering and they're, they're in the mix in the NFC. Uh, I gotta be honest and I gotta be fair. The Vikings, the five and one Vikings might be more fraudulent than the New York giants. I'm just going to say it because I think that the Vikings were by far the worst team in this game. So you mentioned the quarterback thing. Skylar Thompson gets the start, the start third string Skylar Thompson. Yep. Fourth string Teddy Bridgewater apparently was healthy enough to be the backup, but not the starter. But then Skylar Thompson gets hurt. So Teddy comes in, like you said, probably uh, some uh, being careful with league rules sort of thing. Teddy comes in relief for 329 yards and two scores. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell have 306 yards of receiving between them. They lit up this Vikings defense who hasn't been able to stop a nosebleed lately. And the Vikings offense, I got all excited about Kevin O'Connell. He's supposed to come in and, and get everything working for the offense. Miami's defense, not even very good, right? Vikings offense had 234 yards and 11 first downs in this game. Miami had nearly double the yardage. And honestly, I thought the Dolphins were going to steal this one. Vikings are up 16-10 late. And we saw this happen against the Bears. The Vikings were way better. They're way ahead. They're comfortable. And all of a sudden, it's coming close late. And the Vikings get bailed out by this late fumble by uh, St. Brown. And they get the fumble luck. We know fumble luck is basically 50-50. Recover a fumble, save the game. Here we go. Vikings are up six because, of course, they missed the extra point because that's what they do. And the Dolphins are driving. Third down, Jane Waddle picks up the third down. Big play. They're in scoring territory. And then at the end of the play, he fumbles and the Vikings get it. And Dalvin Cook gets a long touchdown right after. That's that. This, this is a game that I had in my notes. This is closer than it looked. Well, the Dolphins got a late touchdown. So it ended up being an eight-point game anyway. Still closer than it looked. Like The Vikings were not good in this game. And I think we're going to forget about it because they're about to go in the bye week. Yep. And then we're going to come back out and be like, oh, man. The Vikings, five and one. Oh, yeah. Kevin O'Connell, coach of the year. This has not been the case so far. Maybe, maybe as a fan now, my hope as a fan is you get to the bye week and you have two weeks to say, okay, what's worked and what hasn't worked? Let's let's get some coach effect into play here. So that's the hope, I think, if you are a Vikings fan and want to feel good about it. And again, five wins is five wins. You take them any way you get them. But I, I don't think you can get too confident in this team right now. The NFC is a weird, weird place at this stage. Third favorite in the NFC, the Vikings at plus 650 to come out of the conference. Don't do it. Don't. <laughs> that's kind of, yeah. I mean, that's, but yeah, that's, that's basically what you're getting at. Um, let's go to Jacksonville and Indianapolis. The Colts now can score points. Uh, they were, they were inspired by their lack of efforts. It feels like from last Thursday night against Denver, they win 34, 27. They cover whatever you got. One and a half, two. What do you make of this game? Uh, honestly, with Matt Ryan isn't pressured, he's going to look like an MVP candidate. <laughs> he wasn't sacked, uh, no interceptions, uh, three touchdowns, 380 yards. That's the Matt Ryan that you can look like if you are getting good protection and you're not making critical mistakes. And that's pretty much what happened. And uh, the Jaguars uh, couldn't really get a passing game going at all against this Colts secondary that surprisingly is just steadily improved week over week. I have to give them credit because that is the one phase of their game last year that I did not think that they were uh, very competent at. And then this year they signed Stephon Gilmore and they're able to pull that off. 
Jamichael Hasty though, uh, scores as a 17 to one touchdown score. That was actually the biggest score of the day. Trevor Lawrence also scored twice, but uh, could not really get much going with his arm, only 180 passing yards. And that's pretty much what it came down to was just that the Jaguars, that defense that pretty much uh, frustrated the Colts, pressured him, made him throw three interceptions. If you don't get into Matt Ryan's face, he's going to look like a competent quarterback. Sets up the rematch of Colts-Titans that is uh, coming up this week. Titans are two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Okay, it's my favorite part of the podcast. We dive into the frozen pizza section of the NFL slate. It's not delivery, and it's not exactly pizza either. It's almost pizza. It's very nearly pizza, but not quite. Pizza that's practically pizza in every way, except for a few key ones. Come on, dig in. Folks, these games sucked. There are a lot of bad games today, but we all watched. We all took in this product. We all took open the oven and said, we still need to eat something to make our Sundays somewhat pleasant. Brandon, Tampa, I'm concerned about this Tampa team. And yet again, they're double digit favorites next week. Granted against that God awful operation in Carolina, <laughs> 20 to 18 Pittsburgh outright beats Tampa Bay. So, of course, no worries if you had Pittsburgh plus eight and a half, nine, even some tens out there. What, 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 if, what if anything do you take away from this game? I mean, you got to just take away another rah-rah Mike Tomlin underdog spot. We, yeah. You hear that on the Action Network podcast all the time, and you hear it for good reason because how are they in this game? I, I backed off of it. I even in my Saturday column, I had picked Pittsburgh plus eight and a half. The line moved Toward my favor, gave me more points by Saturday, and I chickened out because Pittsburgh was missing their top three cornerbacks this game and Minka Fitzpatrick, and don't forget T.J. Watt. And then Kenny Pickett goes out with a concussion, and they win anyways because Mike Tomlin, as an underdog, rah-rah, 14-2-1 as a home underdog against the spread, and he has won seven straight outright in that spot. I absolutely did not expect him to get the win here. This was Tomlin's biggest home underdog line ever. They just got the job done. The, the Bucks settled for field goals all game. They missed a two-pointer late. I mean, honestly, kind of a fluky win, but this is what Tomlin does at home as he finds a way in these weird underdog spots. You ain't new to this no more now. You know what I mean? I, I'm not panicking just yet on the Bucks, but this is a pretty ugly loss for sure. With Mitchell Trubisky in the game at the end, too. And when Pickett comes out, yeah, just uh, wild. And Tom Brady's losing his mind at his offensive line, which I <laughs> look, that stuff happens all the time, folks. With just the cameras and the microphones caught him in the moment again. But uh, it only looks better when they win, when they, but that they didn't, that didn't happen today. The Falcons, another underdog that wins outright. They were five and a half, four and a half. I think it close to four and a half underdogs today against San Francisco. And Jill, like, Mar- Marcus Mariota, the, the numbers are the numbers do do kind of lie. They 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 do. Like he might be in the comeback year, uh, comeback player of the year race, but yeah, it, probably it, shouldn't be. Yeah, if Saquon Barkley wasn't alive, then Mar- yes. Marcus Mariota would be the favorite. But I mean, guys, I'm I'm just confused because I've been scratching my head on this for a couple weeks now. Is Marcus Mariota good? Like, I, I don't know if he's good. I don't know if I could take it away and just say he's good because he had 129 passing yards, but he had two passing touchdowns. He was 13 for 14 from the field. He actually missed his last pass attempt, 
Uh, and he rushed for a touchdown as well. So pretty much controlled the game offensively. Um, and Jimmy G, obviously two picks today. That's not going to do them any favors. Uh, you can always kind of count on a dud from him every couple of games. But uh, you could really tell that that pass rush for San Francisco, they really missed Nick Bosa today and Eric Armstead, uh, especially because how well the Falcons ran the ball. They, they only sacked Mariota twice. They didn't really pressure him that as much. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much my takeaway is that if you don't have Nick Bosa out there and you can't pressure, Marcus Mariota will look like a competent quarterback too. Let's crap on the Packers. And Brandon's got the Packers game. The Jets, the, well, we should give the Jets some credit. The Jets are four and two. They're in the mix. I thought, you know, if Buffalo loses, the Jets are going to be tied with the Bills atop the AFC East, and they've yet to face each other. Like, that's fun. But that didn't happen because the Bills made a great play at the end, as we already discussed. Jets win 27-10. So another dog wins outright. They were seven and a half point underdogs. Some heavens out there, too, but really no sweat here. This pack and Randall Cobb had to leave the game. The, the Aaron Rodgers binky. I know Tunyon was okay in the early part of the game. Brandon, what I, I can't help but take away from another favorite, a team in, in Green Bay that just looks discombobulated. Yeah, I mean, this was the the Frank Sinatra stretch of the Green Bay season. New York, New York. That's supposed to be two easy wins for the Packers. And then they lost both of them straight up. So not good for the Packers. This was a win for our post-London trends. Green Bay coming off of London. Jets hit the team total over. Jets, just like the Ravens, even though the Ravens lost, still all nine teams now in those Sunday morning hangover games the week after. The team opponent has been ahead or tied in the fourth quarter. Obviously, the Jets were plenty ahead and then some in this one. So it's Matt LaFleur's first loss uh, straight up against the spread after a loss. Normally, he's been money in that spot. We'll see if they get it back next week. The other thing here, Brees Hall, that running back for the Jets, he was my offensive rookie of the year pick before the season. He's looking good. 116 yards, another touchdown. He might be emerging, I think, as a rookie of the year leader, especially in New York in that market, as well as the Jets are playing. I mean, we got nine and three combined for New York, New York. Live it up. Kind of thought of this too. I'm like, what if Geno Smith somehow gets back to the Jets. Cause like, that's the only position I feel like <laughs> icky about with them. But there's the quarterback position. If they, they've, they've done such a great job drafting uh, the last couple of years, the Jets have pieces that they've got some pieces and they're, they're starting to put it together with Salah, which I thought by this point in the year, Salah could be like Matt rule on his way out. He has readied the ship. He has righted the ship and the Jets are two games over 500. Speaking of Geno Smith and the Seahawks, and Brandon, I'm going to let you get thoughts in on this game too. I will allow that. Seahawks, 19-9 winners, Jill. They cover, plus two and a half. Kingsbury goes for it twice. Like, dude, just take take the points, <laughs> you jackass. Like, it's just, it's brutal with this guy. Uh, Seahawks get there. Geno wasn't as sharp as he was the previous week, but the, the Seahawks, they, they're... They're contending. The, the, this NFC West is a mess, Joe. Yeah, but we talked about this last week when we were saying the wrong team is favored because yep. Cliff Kingsbury's facing a Super Bowl coach, a notable trend that Brandon has pointed out that is like clockwork every time. So, and really the Cardinals, like, they were kind of only really in this game from that weird defensive touchdown that happened. Like I watched it in real time. And then I looked at my phone, looking at the box score and it was like Michael Burton to banjo to back to banjo. And I was like, wait a minute, how did this happen? So all I know is, is that the Cardinals just were very inept offensively, but I think we might see a little bit of change next week with Deandre Hopkins coming back. You know, I think, uh, you know, they're going to, 
right now they're favored by like minus one and a half right now. I don't know if I could see that on a short week, but I, I don't think I'll ever trust a K- Cliff Kingsbury team as a favorite ever again. Brandon, what are you thinking? I mean, it is Ox Island. It is breezy and balmy out here on Seattle Island. I looked, I looked in the closet to see if I got like a Hawaiian shirt or something. I was going to come up for, for an Island. I, uh, Jill, you got the Island show. I was, mm-hmm. I, I got to get some Island wear for this, for my Seattle Island takes. If you had the look ahead from last week, we're already on Seattle against the chargers next week. If you haven't done that, hop on seven and a half down to seven, six and a half. It's falling. Like Seattle wasn't that great in this one. Let's be honest. My whole thing with Seattle is Geno Smith is cooking. Seattle's offense is great. Seattle's offense was not great. Like they settled for some field goals. They were a little better than it looked, but their defense, their defense won the game. The Cardinals scored nine points and six of that was on a blocked punt touchdown. So yeah, I, the takeaway here is not that Brandon was right on Seattle, but you know, feel free to take, if you'd like to, we're living on Seattle Island. The takeaway is like you said, Joe, Thursday night, Arizona plays already as a favorite. It should be better because Hopkins is back. But I said this to you guys offline. If Arizona comes out and lays an egg four days later, two in a row in a, in a five-day window, and then you have that nice long kind of half by a week, you get the 10 days off, leave you on a little uh, cliffhanger here. The Ooh. man may want to be careful about whether he gets to keep his job if he lets that happen. So I've got my eye on Thursday for that one. Nicely done. That, that, was, that was very good. Nice, <laughs> Thanks nice for the setup. <laughs> there you go. So a cliffhanger from the, the island boy, Brandon Anderson, uh, <laughs> right now with the Seahawks. Okay. Uh, the, the, it, there's a pandemic now in New England because zappy fever, folks, is just uh, – it, it's really heating up. Yeah. I mean, please be safe out there. Uh, zappy fever is a thing. The Patriots were three-point underdogs in Cleveland, and they win 38-15. Unbelievable performance by zappy through the air this is the thing I'm I am I don't think Mac Jones is starting against the Bears next week I I just I don't see Belichick doing it but the Patriots look like a complete outfit you see Bill smirking on the sidelines you know he's in a good mood he loves going back to Cleveland and shoving it in those fans faces going back now years Ramondre Stevenson is also like a legit threat on the ground what do you pull away from this game Brandon Yeah, I like New England coming to this game. I got a little scared off because a lot of sharp people were on Cleveland here. And this game kind of played out as I expected, which is the Browns were a great running team. And Bill Belichick was like, oh, are you? Are you? Well, what happens when I put all my dudes in the box? And then my old friend Jacoby Brissett has to beat us instead. And guess what? It didn't go very well for Cleveland. Brissett was awful. And even more... The plan worked because Cleveland barely even had rushing attempts. They just kept passing the ball, which is precisely what Bill Belichick wants you to do. This is a coaching win. I will say two weeks in a row now, the Pats won a monster score. They were not as dominant as the monster score looked. The score rolled up late because, again, the opponent went aggressively as they should and turned over some fourth downs or some like short field touchdowns and that sort of thing. So be careful. Patriots are not the old Patriots. Bailey Zappi is not necessarily Tom Brady's second coming just yet. But, you know, got to feel pretty good if you're a Patriots fan. I know that most listeners probably weren't exactly dreaming of Brown's playoff hopes. I've been kind of eyeing it for a while because they had this nice opening stretch. We're done here. This, this is the nail in the coffin. You can't lose this game. Cleveland has a brutal coming stretch the next, like, five games. So this, this is it for them. Yeah, and, and seeing Bill, the, the, playing a former quarterback of his is – 
that's another thing that made me think that this is a big bill spot here to, to coach him up. So we'll see what happens with Mac Jones if he is back next week. But he was questionable this week. Last week, he was doubtful. So we'll see what progression they make there or if they go back to the kid and the fever continues. All right, Jill, take us home. Uh, this game, Carolina defensive touchdown. Matt Stafford throws a pick. I'm like, oh, wow, the Rams. This is a real problem. They, they are really in some trouble. But Cooper Cup's really good. And Stafford pulled him out of it. And the Rams, in that window of uh, frozen pizzas, everybody, we do have a team that covered a double-digit spread. The Rams covered. They won 24-10. I just think if you got a Christian McCaffrey jersey, get ready to go to the NFL store and trade it in because he's <laughs> going to get – they ran him into the ground today. Like, they were – like, it was almost kind of like malpractice in a way, like with how how much they were trailing. And they were still putting him out there, getting him and set him up in these screen passes where he was just getting jammed. So, for me uh, – I think he was basically just being auditioned like in a trade to teams. Uh, that's really all I took away from it. Yeah, it's a mess. It's not great. So uh, underdogs and favorites, they, they split the deck today. They go six and six uh, head to head. Underdogs still having a great year. So the Giants, Steelers, Falcons, Jets, Seahawks, Patriots, all six dogs that cover, they all won outright today. Mm-hmm. So RIP to some of you in Survivor. Cincy and Indy also uh, went to overs today. They were the only two teams left in the NFL that had uh, been 5-0 and to the under. So now every team has been part of an over today. Um, so there you go. I want to shout out the Sunday six-pack. Uh, they went 3-3 three and three today. They had a Moneyline parlay that hit Seahawks and Patriots. Seahawks Island is not alone, after all. And uh, our action pod from last Thursday, 3-5. Uh, and five. We got a pick, though, tomorrow from Dave Martinez on the Chargers. So as a reminder, you can follow along on the Action app by following our two accounts, Sunday Six Pack and Action Network NFL Picks. I bring that up because now let's discuss Monday Night Football. Chargers home, four and a half point favorites over on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Totals at 45 and a half. We get the Broncos again on Monday night. Don't turn this off. Please give us a chance. Oh, the Denver Broncos. Brandon, what is the what is the one or two, maybe a handful of betting angles you have on this game? I hate to do it, but I'm leaning Broncos here. And yeah. part of the reason is precisely because I hate to do it. You don't want to bet on the Broncos. I don't want to watch the Broncos. I don't want my money on the Broncos. And I think that that's part of the reason you need to do it because Denver is actually weirdly a little underrated right now. Maybe the defense has been really good. They have a top five DVOA defense. That is the best unit on this field. Not the Chargers offense, certainly not the Broncos offense. So I like Denver's pass defense to limit things. I'm kind of betting on Joe Lombardi here. That's the Chargers offensive coordinator. And the man loves to just put his chargers in a hole on early downs over and over and over again and force Herbert to just pull a rabbit out of the hat on third down. And against a good defense like Denver, that's just not going to be a good plan here. So I think it's a pretty even match, to be honest. So I like getting the points here. Eight of the last 12 games in this rivalry have come down to a one-score game. So we're probably going to get a, uh, I would say a good game, maybe not a good game, but a close game. Not all good games or not all close games are good. I mentioned the lock ratings earlier. This is one where it stands out that Denver is the third unluckiest team in our luck rankings metric versus the luckiest for the Chargers. That's the biggest differential this week. That means take the the unlucky team here. And I think part of it too is Denver is in a desperation spot. There's a lot of trends here that like Denver. Russell Wilson, 
60% ATS after a loss, 65% home prime time, 67% as a division underdog. Chargers are four and one ATS. Usually that is a good thing to, to uh, fade as well around this time of the year. And then just the Chargers injury list, Joey Bosa, JC Jackson, Rashawn Slater, maybe Keenan Allen, Herbert is still hurt. This just feels a little bit like a, a rebalancing act a bit here. I think Denver hangs around. I think they have a shot here. I hate to go against Dane's pick, but I, I got to like Denver's spot here. Lindsley, the center, uh, downgraded to questionable this week. Mm. Allen, Keenan Allen is doubtful for this game. So, Jill, I, I, br- I bring those up because so, so many time touchdown possibilities. Do you look, what what side, I mean, the, the Eckler is a, is a heavy favorite to score minus mm-hmm. 140, but anything else? I mean, I know you like to take some long shots too, as part of your research and as part of part of your data compiling, what, what jumps out to you in that category? I think really the only one that would stand out from a charger standpoint, if you were going to play it is probably Justin Herbert around plus 440 of FanDuel. Yeah. He, he did score against them last year. Uh, the Lindsley part does worry me a little bit, just yeah. not having that center and that connection. So again, a lot of these, the thing is, we just talked about it, having money on the Broncos. So do you want to have money on Broncos offensive players? Then probably you're looking at Jerry Judy at plus 230 because it's pretty much splitting hairs between him and Cortland Sutton when it comes to who's going to get the targets this week. And Cortland Sutton's around like plus 170, whereas Judy's around plus 230. Uh, from a tight end standpoint, it's all over the place. Eric Salbert's like plus 500. Uh, Big Al is, is 14 to 1, uh, which is a crazy odd swing compared to where he was at the start of the season. So I think with this game, honestly, I think you're probably just going to want to look at Herbert, you know, probably at plus 440, Judy at plus 230. And then, of course, you could look at the road interception trend again. Uh, but I think people have already caught on to that because Russell Wilson is now the highest odds I've ever seen him to throw an interception at minus 150 uh, right now at FanDuel to throw an interception. Uh, but it has hit now in 13 of 18 primetime games where the road quarterback has thrown an interception. Wow. Okay. And now, what? What is? How many does he have for the year, Russell Wilson? I, I believe he would have three. He threw two last game. Right. Four touchdowns, three picks for the season. Okay. Very good. There you go. There's your Monday night preview. Before we wrap the show and remind you what we have coming up uh, with Action Network, let's uh, take a quick look at Week Seven. Uh, we're going to dust off the old Peyton here and kick off the hot read. Hot rock. So in this segment, if you're new to the program, we're going to look at a spread uh, that we're targeting a week in advance because there's always the possibility of a significant line shift. It's more of analysis of uh, it's not so much about the matchup, but it's about the number. And we want to make sure we're getting the best number possible. Brandon, you've got one pick for us. What do you got for the hot read this week? Yeah, I do. We mentioned Seattle earlier against the Chargers. Still like that one if you haven't done it yet. But for my hot read, I'm just going to take the undefeated against the spread, Atlanta Falcons, catching six and a half points on the road in Cincinnati. To me, this line just reeks of outdated preseason expectations. We're still treating the Bengals like a Super Bowl team. They have not played like one yet. We're still treating the Falcons like a garbage team. They have not played like that yet either. The Falcons are tied for the division lead at three and three, and they are six and zero against the spread. And Arthur Smith is making magic. We talked, you guys talked about Marcus Mariota earlier. 
I don't really care if Marcus Mariotti is good because Arthur Smith is setting him up so well to succeed. They're running the ball. They're setting up the play action. I saw a graphic up this week where if you remove play action and a couple other kind of the, the gimmicky sort of things, sure. then who's the best quarterback out there? And it only ranked 30 quarterbacks because one other quarterback was injured and Marcus Mariota fell off the list because almost all of his passes are coming on play action. Play action passes set you up to succeed. Arthur Smith is using what ingredients he has and making like, I don't I don't have a, the end of my analogy, a, a, a wonderful cake out of it. Like, look, if you can play the Niners who had the best defense in the league coming into the weekend and move the ball that successfully on that team. Now, granted, they had some injuries, but so did the Bengals. The Bengals are missing a really important player in this game, DJ Reader. He's the run stuffer. He's the guy up the middle, and the Falcons are number two in DVOA running the football. So I think this is a great spot to take Atlanta, establish that run early. It's working for them, and then open the play action. I think these teams, honestly, are pretty even teams. And I'm not even sure Cincinnati has a great home field. So six and a half points is wild to me. Normally, that would be a weird hot read spot because you wouldn't expect the line necessarily to move away from us. You might even wait and hope you get the seven. In this spot, it was seven this morning. The Falcons won. It's already dropping six and a half, six at some books. Six is also a key number. I'm just going to grab it now. I like Atlanta. If you like the money line, I feel pretty good about that. And that's going to drop, I think, a little bit as well. Yeah, I would imagine, too, like folks are going to find out, oh, the Falcons are undefeated against the spread this year. <laughs> like that that's something, too. That Yeah, that's going to be a thing. And I, I noticed as well, teams that are undefeated against the spread week six or later. So today was week six when yeah. they are underdogs, seven and four against the spread. And they've won outright four of the last six, of course, including the Falcons today. So it's a good spot for these sort of teams. They're still not getting respect yet. Normally, you'd think, okay, a team that's undefeated against the spread is going to get a lot of media attention, and maybe that, that number is going to bump up. Maybe that'll happen this week. Maybe that line will move in our favor here, but that's why I want to grab the six and a half right now. All right, excellent. Good stuff. We got some other stuff coming up for you uh, with Action Network on the Action Network podcast, uh, but other podcasts as well at Action Network want to remind you that we have the Major League Baseball postseason well underway, moving on to the NLCS. We have a Game 5 Yankees-Guardians this week. Action Network's baseball betting podcast is Payoff Pitch. We will have new episodes every weekday through the World Series. So if you want to bet some playoff baseball, check out Payoff Pitch wherever you like to listen. We will have you covered. Plus, the NBA regular season gets underway on Tuesday. So if you're looking to bet the NBA, check out Action Network's NBA betting podcast, Buckets, with episodes dropping every weekday. So stay caught up with every angle with our NBA betting experts. Some new, some that you may know, like Brandon Anderson. They'll be around for the ride for all season long. <laughs> uh, so listen to Buckets, Payoff Pitch, wherever you get your podcast. Hit that subscribe button. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks to Brandon Anderson, Joe Gallant for their coverage as always. I'm Brendan Glasheen. Everyone, enjoy the Monday night action, and we will catch you again for the best bets episode on the Action Network podcast for week seven later this week. We'll see you later.